Welcome to the Building Healthy Organizations podcast. We understand how the human brain works and how that impacts behavior in the workplace. I'm glad you joined us today for our continued journey to understand how to build a healthy organization. I'd like to start the podcast episode today with a story. And it's a story about teams, but it's a different kind of team. Many years ago, I played in competitive softball leagues. I absolutely loved the sport. But this story is not about me. Our team was playing in a tournament, and we'd finally reached the championship game. We only had enough people to field a team. But then it happened. One of our players was hurt and had to leave the game to seek medical attention. We played a person down for a few innings. Then my oldest son, Nick, showed up at the field. He came to watch me, but quickly found himself on the field playing since he was an official part of our roster. Now, Nick was not what I would call the most athletic person. He was a large person, not really into sports, and certainly not into anything that didn't have a game controller attached to it. We were two runs down going into the last inning. It was our final chance at bat. We already had one out when I got a base hit. Then the batter behind me in the lineup was walked intentionally. And that put two of us on base. And as things worked out, it was Nick's turn at bat. As a father and someone who loves his kids, I was worried how this would play out. Would Nick make the final outs to lose the game? How would that make him feel? Would the team be disappointed or discouraged after a season of hard work? But then something wonderful happened. The team captain called a timeout and had all of us gather around Nick. Everyone was smiling and encouraging him. They told him that no matter what happened, they were excited that he was the one at bat. Nick's whole expression changed. Instead of fearful he became confident. Instead of anxious, he became excited. I saw a very different person approach the plate after that timeout. Determined is the best word I can use to describe the change in his demeanor. The other team was doing their best to rattle him, to distract him, to make him feel the pressure to get him to doubt himself. And then it happened. The next pitch approached, and as Nick took a mighty swing at the ball, he connected. In all of my years of playing competitive softball, I have never seen a ball hit the way Nick hit that ball. It was a line drive that just kept rising. Up and up it went, without reaching any apex. By the time it reached the center field fence, it was already 15 feet 
above the center field fence. We won that game, and we won the championship in the most unlikely manner possible. The least athletic team member, the one with the least experience and the least chance of helping his team win, had hit a walk-off home run. What a day. I learned a lot of lessons from that day. Number one, we're all capable of more than we think we are. Number two, showing up matters. Number three, we are better as a team, especially when we act like a team. Number four, the emotional environment we create has a huge impact on our success. And number five, and on a more personal note, enjoy the time you have with your loved ones. Nick passed away a few years ago unexpectedly, and I really miss him. Why did I share this story with you? For the past six weeks, we've been focused on the six trends of high-performing teams. And if you look closely, you'll see many of these trends in that story that I just shared. Just for a quick review, here they are again. Number one, high-performing teams rally and rebuild. Number two, joyful teams are 10 times more likely to be high-achieving and satisfied. Number three, trust is a critical success factor in high-performing teams. Number four, teams that reflect and celebrate wins are 25 times more likely to sustain success long-term. These are huge findings. Number five, leading hybrid and virtual teams effectively increases team performance. And number six, equipping teams to navigate the increased emotional complexity of the workplace is critical to success. Most of this data comes directly out of the Workplace Vitality Report 2022 by six seconds. In the past six weeks, especially last week, we focused on emotional complexity. That's what we're building up to here. The reality is we live in a much more complex emotional environment than we have ever lived in before. There is wave after wave after wave of triggers coming at us every day. Everything from the economy to politics to inflation to schools to masks to COVID to you name it, hostile governments, it goes on and on and on. If it was one or two things at a time, that might seem a bit more normal. But the reality is that it just feels like things have ramped up to the point it is a daily attack on our ability to navigate emotions in ourselves and in others 
and keep ourselves more intentional instead of just being triggered and reacting. Many people misunderstand the role of emotions in the workplace. And honestly, I'm right there with you when it comes to drama. I'm not a fan of drama in the workplace. But that's only one facet of how emotions impact people at work. If you look closely at what is at the heart of the six trends of high-performing teams, it is clear that emotions play a large role in each of those six. Trying to remove emotions from our work efforts actually diminishes the effectiveness of the effort while reducing engagement. Let me explain what I mean by that. Engagement is the emotional commitment somebody has to the team and to the effort. At the most basic level, emotional drivers are what makes the difference between a high-performing team and an average-performing team. Now, feel free to disagree with me, but please, for a few minutes, keep an open mind and listen to what I am saying, because I think you'll see, if you drill down far enough, that there's real truth behind all of this. Does the team need the right skill sets? Sure they do. Does the team need the right resources? Absolutely. However, all things being equal, the difference between a high-performing team and other teams is the emotional environment they live and work in. In high-performing teams, the emotional environment includes a sense of belonging and safety, what we call psychological safety. Number two, excitement about the work. Number three, consistent satisfaction and feelings of accomplishment. Number four, enjoyment of the team and the effort. Number five, high levels of trust. Number six, recognition and feelings of reward. Number seven, a sense of self-worth and team worth. Every one of these is an emotion or a group of emotions. Have you ever experienced a situation where you or someone you know performed way above their normal capabilities? That's actually the story of my son, Nick. It may very well be your story as well. We all have many things to overcome. Challenges face us every day. The difference between likely success or likely failure resides in how we approach those challenges. This is not some false and ingenuous, or I should say disingenuous, uh, positive thinking mantra. That's not what this is. This is genuine understanding of what mental and emotional preparation means to outcomes and results. Let's look at that a little deeper. I want us to focus for the rest of this episode on what I call the intentional team. What do I mean by the intentional team. High-performing teams do not get that way by luck. 
It is an intentional process of focusing on the right things, preparing for what is ahead, and then everybody on the team understanding the expectations and putting in the effort. High-performing teams are high-accountability teams. What can you do to empower your team to be a high-performing team? Here are a few simple things, but profound outcomes that can help your team be a high-performing team, or at least move in that direction. Create and sustain the right emotional environment. Now, I know a lot of people are thinking, okay, wait a minute, that, yeah, right, let's do that, but how in the world do you do that? It starts with psychological safety. An environment where people can speak up about anything as long as it's appropriate and done in a professional manner, in a positive, uh, positive intent manner, we assume positive intent in other people. We don't assume they're trying to knock us down or destroy the team or anything else. Unfortunately, there's a few of those people out there, but they're pretty rare, to be honest about it. So this emotional environment that we want to create starts with psychological safety. And then we, we really start to put in place the kinds of behaviors, the kinds of guardrails that help us stay in a good place emotionally. What do those guardrails look like? A real understanding of things like respect, hearing other people, not just brushing people off, but really listening to other people, working with other people, understanding that the person next to you may have a different personality than your personality. And because of that, they may very well need to be communicated with in a little different fashion than your favorite fashion of communication. If you have someone who's very dominant, they want to know about the bottom line. They want to know about, you know, give me the bullet points, give me the out, what's going on, the outcomes. Whereas a person that is a high C on a disc, a compliance, high compliance individual, they're going to be very focused on details. Facts, details, organization, structure, those kinds of things. Just a simple sense of understanding we are different and treating that with respect instead of treating that as some kind of deficiency in the other person. If you want real diversity in your workplace, it starts with a diversity of personalities and a diversity of strengths and a diversity of skills. Yes, there are other types of diversity out there, but the true meaning and the true impact of diversity come from those things. They come from skills and personalities and strengths and even gaps and weaknesses. That allows other people to show up with a strength and make the team stronger overall. So what's the second thing we can look at here? Build a framework and practices of accountability. I have 
found this to be so important that I've created an online course specifically called Cultivating Accountability. But here's where it starts. It starts with a success pathway where the individual and or the team has a very defined success pathway. And there are tools for all of this in our online course. The point of this is to help everyone understand what their success pathway looks like, what the team's success pathway looks like. Then you can start to build frameworks of accountability around that success pathway. And I've used this before, but I'll use it again now. Think of you as the leader, that you're paving a road for a team member to travel on. Let's say they're driving some kind of vehicle. Think of the road as the success pathway, and you're putting down pavement so that your team member can drive down that road. The better the road, the better the traction. But they may be a little afraid of running the vehicle off into the ditch or taking a wrong turn. This is where frameworks of accountability come in. They become the guardrails to make people feel safer so they can move forward faster and get more done. When you have those two elements in place, success pathways and frameworks of accountability, you are empowering your people to make a huge impact from their role into the team itself and into the entire organization. What's the next thing? It's reflect and celebrate. When I say celebrate, it isn't a party. Maybe it's a party, but it doesn't have to be a party. Reflection is taking the time to understand what worked, why did it work, and how can we do that again? Or what didn't work, why didn't it work, And how can we avoid that in the future? How can we improve things? If you don't have time for reflection, and I hear this in so many organizations, oh, we're just too busy. We're just too busy. I'm telling you right now, that is a huge red flag. When you hear that, we're too busy, we're too busy, we're too busy, that's the point in the road where the guardrails have fallen down and it's pretty easy to run the car off into the ditch. That's a very concerning trend in a team. If there isn't some margin there, some time for people to reflect, to celebrate the wins. You know what celebration does? It locks in the learning. It locks in doing it right. That's why we celebrate. But we also get a bonus out of that. We get energy for the next set of challenges for the next opportunity that comes along. That's what celebration is for. It isn't just a party. As a matter of fact, I've a lot of people say, oh, well, if we celebrate all the time, they're going to stop working so hard. That 15-year study actually showed the opposite. Teams that celebrated more were more effective and got better results overall. That's saying something. So what's next? What else can we do? Be a learning and growing team. If you're not providing some clear-cut form 
of professional development, team development, team building. And I'm not talking about crazy stuff here. You know, zip lining is fine if you want to go do that. That's kind of an interesting team building thing. There's so many other things you can do to build that team environment. Be a learning and growing team. That is going to add to everyone's satisfaction. That is one of the biggest things behind the Great Resignation. People didn't feel like they were being invested in. They were just asked to do a job, get a paycheck for it, but there wasn't anything at a higher level where they could belong to something, where it was a a bigger-than-them kind of thing that they could contribute to. What's another thing we can do? Find ways to bring joy into the team environment. And again, that's not ping-pong tables and tricycles you can ride around the office and little trampolines and all of that. I mean, if you want to do that, great. That's fine. Do what you want to do. But joy comes from two things, results and satisfaction, which, by the way, are linked. When teams get good results, they become more satisfied. When they're more satisfied, they look to get better results in the future. And this is an iterative cycle that grows and and can really become a driver of team success. And the last thing I want to leave you with, always, always, always be building trust. Not just between you and team members. Everyone needs to be building trust with everyone else on that team. Trust predicts over 72% of the outcomes. Outcomes being things like satisfaction and results and, and sustainability and the things that really, really matter. Trust is the currency of high-performing teams. If you want to know more about all of this, check out our website, www.eqfit.org. I'll leave you with one final thought. We never know when we're going to be in a situation with our team where the impossible becomes the probable. But if we're prepared for it, we have a far better chance of that happening. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Building Healthy Organizations by EQFIT. We do understand how the human brain works and how that impacts behavior and performance in the workplace. We also love hearing your suggestions and ideas. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please send us an email at info at gscfit.com. For more information and inspiration, check us out on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and of course our website, eqfit.org.